You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A glorious Wednesday afternoon to you. Here on the game, it's 1037 Lafayette, 1041 in Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's crunch time with Miguez and Mesh with your man, Matt Miguez. It's a glorious day because there, there's a particular team in baseball that, that sits in New England that got their ass kicked last night, and I'm loving it. Just going to be honest. Absolutely loving it. Co-host, producer, man of many talents, jack of all trades, and his name isn't Jack, it's James. What's up, buddy? Yeah, it's definitely not Jack. I I, I got a lot going on today. I could tell. I'm, I'm all over the place, and it's fine. <laughs> you are bouncing off the walls. It is fine. The Boston Red Sox got hammered by the Blue Jays last night, 9-3. to three. Gave up 13 hits to the Blue Jays. And, you know, what makes it even better, James, is that the Blue Jays are are that team that people are looking at right now going, man, the Blue Jays are struggling. And yet they owned the Red Sox. They scored eight in the third and held the Red Sox to one in the second, one in the seventh, and then one in the ninth. It... it it will only the only thing that would have made yesterday better from a baseball perspective was had the Yankees also lost. If the Yankees would have lost also, it would have been that much sweeter, but they took down the Mets four to two last night in the Subway series. Could have gone four could have gone three for three. Could have gone three for three. Well, the Braves could have lost two. That that would have been okay with me. Fifty percent. Yeah, so I'll, Is that I the worst? I would have taken fifty percent. We'll take fifty. I'll take fifty percent. I will absolutely take 50%. Aaron Judge hit his 48th home run last night in in that 4-2 win. You know, a lot of people were talking about Judge hitting that magic number of 62. Does he get there now that he's been in a little slump? He's only hit like five home runs in the last month and a half. Does he hit that threshold? And, you know, I heard, speaking of that number, hitting up, getting up to 62, I heard somebody on on the radio, and I don't remember what station it was, but somebody was talking about the Aaron Judge thing and about the Hall of Fame and home run leaders and all this stuff. And he said that if Aaron Judge gets to 62, he would be the all-time home run king because he doesn't count Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire because they roided. First of all, they roided during the steroid era. Everybody was on roids. Now that it's illegal, well, technically it's not even illegal anymore. Now you have approved substances and unapproved substances, but still, you can't just take those guys out of the record book. What, you're going to say Barry Bonds doesn't hold the record for the most home runs all time? I mean, and then the, the other comment that really bugged me you know, you talked talked about uh, he was talking about Pete Rose and how he was he was gambling on games, and the guy made the comment that 
he would rather somebody gamble on games than take steroids because it's two totally totally different things. Is it though? You're still cheating the game. Is it really different? It is different, but at the same time, it's two different ways. Right. You're, you're still cheating either way. I, I don't think it's that. I don't. Th- I think it's different in the way that you want to do it, but you're ultimately still doing the same type of result. Like my thing is this: if you're not going to put Bonds, McGuire, and Sosa in the Hall of Fame, Pete Rose shouldn't go in there either. I mean, that's just point blank. If, if that's the way you're going to do it, they all cheated. Granted, I'm a believer that now that steroids are, I'm not going to say legal, but again, the stuff that they were taking isn't necessarily frowned upon in the league anymore. If that's the case, put them in the hall. Because let's be real. Say Bonds doesn't take steroids. He hit 763 homers. Take steroids out of that equation. He still hits 500. 400. That's still Hall of Fame numbers. You know, Mark McGuire, very similar situation. He's still hitting 450, 500. Sosa's still going to be an elite first baseman. Like, these are guys that go in the Hall with roids or without roids, in my my opinion. Roger Clemens, the same thing. So that's an interesting conversation that that uh that I didn't necessarily agree with. James, looking at the poll question, I know you and Blaine kind of started touching on it during during the Jordy Holberg show. And looking at the the matchups for today, we posted two matchups on our Facebook and our Twitter. Jerry Maguire versus the Longest Yard and Any Given Sunday versus the Water Boy. So far, 83.3% voting for the Water Boy and then 68.8% voting for the Longest Yard, which is surprising because I really thought that Jerry Maguire would put up a better fight in that matchup than, than it has. But you're you're a big longest yard fan, so I'm sure I'm sure you're pretty happy right now. Oh yeah, I'm chilling. Even though a couple of the other ones that I really liked aren't in, I mean like, I still have a couple dogs left in the fight. So Blaine was right though. We're gonna have to get you some culture. You gotta watch oh, these yeah. movies. Man. Oh, you have to watch these movies. You do. Don't say it like that. You have to watch these movies. It it's. It's important, especially in our field, to learn, you know... Learn the, about cinema. Well, I mean, I'm not going to be a movie nerd and say learn about cinema. But, like, when, when somebody gives a, a movie quote from Jerry Maguire or from Any Given Sunday, you should know where it's coming from. I'm just trying to help you out, bud. It's going to make your job easier. It's going to make your job so much easier. Call us up on the game hotline, 706-0111, if you want to get in on the action. And, of course, here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. We'll look at the 
you know rundown of the show here in a moment but let's go to the hotline now martin buddy what's up yeah i gotta correct you on a couple of things so what's a big part of all the sports right now what's the biggest thing that pretty much over the last five six years just became legal what what is it betting right betting on sports okay so this is where i stand with with these roles put the man in the hall of fame because now if you want to look at it at this particular point in time, the man did nothing wrong. He betted on our which can do kind of stuff, you know? I always said the man needs to go in the Hall of Fame. Now, if Roger Clemens, this is another, if Roger Clemens, because he was accused of steroids, gets in to the Hall of Fame, he needs to go in as a, as a Boston Red Sox. Because that's where he started his career. And that's what he's, he's always going to not then, like the Yankees are famous for doing, they go and they steal our place because they can't develop their own talent. And I hope all is listening. And also, don't forget that it was the Blue Jays that uh, put up 25 runs against my Red Sox. So am I surprised that they beat us yet again? But not only beat us, but dismantled us. No, I'm not surprised. What's your comment, buddy? Well, first what off, first off, I gotta ask: if Roger Clemens does go into the Hall of Fame, why does he need to go in as a Boston Red Sox? Because he's a Boston Red Sox at heart, plain and simple. And yeah. then the Yankees guy, and then he went to the Astros and wherever else. Is he a Red I Sox mean, at heart, though? Yeah, I think he is. It, Nobody would have knew him. Nobody would have knew who Roger Clemens was if it wasn't for the Boston Red Sox developing him. And then, like the Yankees are famous for doing, they go to our Red Sox. And uh, he said, they say, they say, well, yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go steal him from. And he, I mean, he won a World Series or two with the with the with the Yankees. But I mean, he needs to go in as a. He looked better in a Boston Red Sox uniform. I mean, come on, man. You know the Yankees got the ugliest uniforms in all of baseball. Oh, I don't know about that. Because I, I, and, and like Paul doesn't want any pinstripes. The the, the, the the pinstripes came from the Chicago club. The Cubs they wore it first. Now, uh, so what was uh, what else you wanted to say? Uh, the the, the Red Sox lost last night. Yeah, they they, we, they the Blue Jays got our number this year. I mean, they put up twenty five runs, which was absolutely horrendous. A uh, few, uh, like a month ago. But anyway, uh, I, I gave up all hope this year on my Red Sox. As always, next year, just like I already gave up hope on my Cowboys. You know, I mean. But like I said, Sean Payton is gonna be our next coach after next season. That's all I got to say about that. We them boys, and y'all have a good one. You 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 keep up that thought process, Martin. Yes, sir. Sean Payton is not going to coach. The Cowboys. That's not going to happen. I don't know how many times we have to say that. That is not going to happen. I mean, if Sean's coming back into coaching, I really see it being the Los Angeles Chargers. A young quarterback, good receiving core, good defense. The only piece that they're really missing is a great coach. 
and I think they're going to figure that out this year with, with Brandon Staley, and then you move on and you bring in Sean. Dallas, uh, t- to be honest, I really think Jerry Jones likes Mike McCarthy a lot. And if they go 12-5 and five again and make the playoffs, I mean, you're not going to win a Super Bowl every year. It's not going to happen. You make the playoffs, you win a game or two in the playoffs, that's what teams are looking for consistently. And if Mike McCarthy brings you that, then Jerry Jones has no reason to fire him at all. So, I, I, again, I don't see Sean going to the uh, to the Cowboys. Now, I will agree with you. Roger Clemens had his best years of his career with the Boston Red Sox. I mean, three Cy Youngs, a league MVP. He won two Cy Youngs back-to-back with Toronto in 97-98. He won one more with the Yankees, and then he won one with the Astros in 2004. Roger Clemens won, that is, seven, seven Cy Youngs in his career. I don't care if he was on steroids or not. Seven Cy Youngs put that man in the Hall of Fame. Two-time Triple Crown winner. He's won two World Series championships. Seven times he had the best ERA in the league. A seven-time Cy Young award and an 11-time All-Star. That is absolutely wild numbers for Roger Clemens. So, you know, it's interesting to see what they're going to do with all of that, uh, especially now that, you know, the the whole steroid thing is becoming less and less for the MLB. I mean, I know Fernando Tatis just got suspended 80 games, but that's the first time you've heard of a PED suspension in a year or two. It it used to, you, you, you heard it more, right? You, you saw more guys getting hit for that, and I don't think you're, you're seeing that nearly a, as much. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Let's go back to the hotline. Paul, what's up, buddy? Oh, man, I have to chime in on this, man. It seems like every day of the week we got to go through this past for me. Okay, check it. Roger Clemens had his best years, if you look at it strategically, that, that – um, in Boston because he had to carry that junk. When he came to the um, Yankees, he didn't have everything wasn't on him. It was a team effort. You know what I'm saying? So he'd have to carry the team, like LeBron doing the Lakers and everything. And you get my point? All right. Now, Roger Clemens is known as a Yankee. He played for a million teams, but he's best known for wearing the stripes. The only team that's known for stripes is the Yankees. Everybody know that. There's an old saying about how I distract you, not the Cubs. Okay, let me now help me rem, help remind me something here because you know I'm, I'm, it's been years. Was um, Clemens a free agent or was he traded to the you know when he left Boston? He was traded, wasn't he? At the end of the day, it's not that we stole him. The team didn't want him, or he wanted to go. Same as he was a free agent. We didn't steal nobody. If a team is allowing to trade, it's kind of like Brooklyn. They they wanted to get rid of K, but now we pulled back. We ain't getting rid of it. You know what I mean? But if your team want to get rid of you can't blame another well, team for saying, hey, and, we'll but, but, but to Martin's point, Boston didn't trade him. Toronto did. At the end of the day, we didn't steal nobody. Oh, I, I, I'll agree with you there. You know what I'm saying? So they, it, it's not 
know, players most of the time want to leave an organization for winning purposes or money purposes. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, maybe that was his. You know? So we got to stop the blasphemy of lying on the Yankees with this. We do develop our own talent, and some talent desire to come play with us because they want to win. We have a history of winning. They have 85, 86 years of losing. That's facts. You know, now, besides that, I do want to say I had to buy another broom today. Well, you know, yesterday. Swept the little Mets. Swept them. Had to buy a new broom. My house stay clean, man. All these brooms I keep buying, man. You know, I had to tell a fellow Yankee fan this, and that would be you. Just wanted you to know that. So, you can come on over and celebrate with these 27 chips because we're about to get 28, my brother. Just wanted to welcome you to the Yankee club, my brother. So oh, don't worry oh, about no, Martin. No, no, no. You, you have a go with my brother. Appreciate you, Paul, but I'm never going to be right. a Yankees fan. <laughs> never going to be a Yankees fan. Ever. Never going to be a Yankees fan. Never going to be a Red Sox fan. Just not going to happen. Delta Media is going to be your home for thrilling high school football this season. Check out this year's lineup that includes St. Thomas Moore on the game on 103.7 Lafayette, Acadiana High on MeTV 97.7, Karen Crow on Z1059, Southside on Mustang 107.1, Vermilion Parish Game of the Week on 106.3 Radio Lafayette, the St. Landry Parish Game of the Week on Newstalk 98.5, and Barb on the game in Lake Charles 104.1. Make sure to download the station's free mobile apps to listen to your favorite teams at home or on the road. Delta Media is your home for Friday night football. We'll take a time out when we return. James and I will look at the AFC South and the AFC East and bring you our predictions in those divisions and much more right here on Crunch Time with Miguel and Mesh. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Let's talk now about an interesting conversation that has come out, and it involves former St. Junior Gallette. Junior Gallette has announced that he is suing the NFL, the NFLPA, Roger Goodell, and several teams for $300 million complaining that he was, quote, blackballed from pro football. It is a 21-page lawsuit for the Southern District of Florida from the U.S. District Court, and he is suing the Seahawks, Rams, Raiders, Browns, Chiefs, Panthers, and commanders. So here's the problem with, with, with all of that. And then here's the biggest part of it. He has no lawyer. Junior Gallette says that he will represent himself in this case. Nice. You're wasting everybody's time. You're wasting everybody's money. One person doesn't beat the NFL. You could have a valid point. I'm not going to say that he does. I think he's crazy. You could have a valid point in all of this. However, one single person cannot go up against the NFL, the NFL Players Association, Commissioner Goodell, and seven teams. You're not winning that fight. But you know what you will get? 
you'll probably get like $5 million because the NFL wants you to go away. Guarantee you that's what's going to happen. Goodell's going to call Gallette and say, look, dude, we don't need this. We don't want to deal with it. You don't want to deal with it. What do you want? And if it's a price that Goodell's willing to pay, they're going to pay it. And then that's going to be it. Junior Gallette's going to get him a nice little check and crawl back into his hole. I mean, James, what what are your thoughts? This is it's it's ridiculous. I find it funny. It, it kind of feels. I find it funny. I, 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 it's just weird because when you look at it, he hasn't been in the league for a few years now. Probably is looking for a new paycheck. Doesn't want to play because no one wants to sign him at this point. So let's just go for the old. Oh, the league hates me. Right. Very very Colin Kaepernick esque. Right. Um, another thing that I saw on social media about the Saints that I find very interesting, and we'll talk about it with Brendan Ertel later on for Who Dat Wednesday. How about Will Lutz going 49 of 51 so far in training camp? I mean, that's impressive numbers. That's 95%. That's solid for, for, for a guy who missed all of last year. So uh, definitely excited to have Lutz back. Definitely excited to have a drug-free Blake Gillikin, which we all knew that that was the case. The man's just possessed. I mean, James, realistically, let's look at the AFC South and the AFC East, and we'll start with the South. This is It's a bad division. It's just bad. I think the winner will be 10-7. and seven. Maybe. You got the Texans. Garbage. You have the Jaguars, garbage. You have the Colts, could be good, could be good. Um, you you brought in you brought in Matt Ryan. You still have Darius Leonard. You know you've got pieces. They could be good. You got the Titans. You never really know what you're going to get with them, especially now that they don't have AJ Brown anymore. I mean, Derrick Henry could rush for 800. He could rush for 8,000. Ryan Tannehill, kind of the same thing. Like, you, ju- you just don't know. And, I mean, dead last, I'm going to say, is the Jags. Dead last for me, I was going to say the Texans. Really? Okay. Uh, I think the Jags, even though I prefer Lovey Smith over Doug Peterson, at least Doug Peterson has won a Super Bowl, and I feel like he's got more talent around him. I like Davis Mills, but, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is a better QB prospect than Davis Mills. And yeah. he's... Even though Davis has Brandon Cooks, I'd say just the receiving core in general is slightly better in is in Jacksonville. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. Um, and then you also have a healthy Travis Atn. Yeah, you're getting, you're who's getting, never gotten a fair crack in the NFL. And then you got some edge rushers that are young and talented. Miles Jack. Yeah, you got Miles. You got Trayvon Walker, who you, mm-hmm. who you just signed. Third. I mean, I was gonna say the Texans, but now I might change my answer. I think I think you convinced me. Miles my, Jack did go to the Steelers, by the way. Oh, he's not in Jacksonville anymore. No, he he moved down to free agency. I missed that. Okay. Um. So, Texans Jaguars can really be interchangeable. Third, second. This is where this this is where it could get interesting. Man, it, it could. I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and I'm gonna say the Titans finish second. Oh, I, I think Matt Ryan brings Indy to. I think Matt Ryan still got a lot left in the tank. Well, okay, a lot's a stretch. 
He's got enough two left year. in the tank. Two years left. Yeah. Um, and and I, th- I think that's exactly what Indy was missing. No offense to Carson Wentz, but that, that's what Indy was missing was a quarterback. And, f- and for me, I just, I'm not a big proponent of Ryan Tannehill. Derrick Henry's going to be back and not have to worry about the foot anymore, so he won't be injured from that. But it feels like the O line's gotten worse. Taylor Wan hasn't been the same since he got injured a few years back. The receiving core, you lose A.J. Brown, you replace him with a rookie, Traylon Burks, who hasn't been making noise during training camp or preseason. Right. And then you got Rob, you trade for Robert Woods. Don't forget that. But he's coming off the ACL. Yeah. He's coming off the ACL where he tore it in the middle of the season. Will he be back to start the season? More likely than not. But do you think he's going to be effective? Probably not. And I like some of the pieces on the defense. They'll find a way to keep it close. But you got to remember, it feels like now time is ticking for Ryan Tannehill because you got Malik Willis now. You got, Absolutely. You got him for a steal in the third round as Absol- opposed to a lot of the other quarterbacks where it went. Absolutely. And then you look at Indy, you know, Matt Ryan at quarterback, Jonathan Taylor in the backfield. You got Michael Pittman out wide. You still got T.Y. Hilton out wide. You know, you got Darius Leonard on the defense. You got a couple corners that are impressive. I mean, this is the, the the Colts could make some noise in the AFC. The Colts are one other receiving threat, and then a really good quarterback away. Yep. And I feel like they got a solid being good for a very long time. They have a yeah. They are built for the long term, and they've just been doing interchangeable quarterbacks the last few years. I think this one's going to be a longer lasting band aid. But they still need to find that long-term piece and find someone else to complement Michael Pittman other than Jonathan Taylor. Agreed. Agreed. Let's look at the AFC East dead last. I mean, that's as easy. The Jets? Yeah, you probably have to lean the Jets with this one. I mean, Zach Wilson, even though he's got that dog in him, he's still not that good as a he's, quarterback. He, I'm about to say, he's got that dog for mamas. Not that much for football, though. No, nah, and I like what the Jets have done. But ultimately, the team's not ready. No. Team's not ready at all. Not yet. Um, third, I'm going Dolphins. I'm going Dolphins here. Tua could step up, but ultimately, this team—they're going to have a rookie head coach. The guy's only been in the system before. This is a first-time head coach. He's dealing with Tua. He likes Tua. They've been talking up Tua this whole offseason. They got Tyree Kill. They brought in four new running backs, and they brought in Teron Armstead to help improve the offensive line, but it's still not all that good. The defense, they got good corners. You got Christian Wilkins on the defensive line in the interior. But overall, this team, it feels like it needs time as well, and it needs time for them to develop and see what Mike McDaniel can do as a head coach instead of just being an assistant. Yeah, third, I'm going to say the Dolphins, but it's very close. It's very close. Like, I, I see them going eight, 7 to 10, 8 and 9. Oh, I see them doing 9 and 8. I see them being a winning team. I mean, Tyreek Hill, I, I think Tua's still got – I mean, Tua's, Tua's still going to be that guy. I, I think he, he has a breakout year this year. you got Tyreek Hill. You've got new running backs. You've got a good young coach. It's hard for me to to not put the Dolphins at second. Honestly, I think the Patriots are going to struggle this year. Really? I mean, you got Mac Jones, who did really well last year. Who 
Right. You, you did. Uh-huh. He doesn't have great receivers. No, he doesn't have a dominant number one receiver. But You don't have a great O-line. You just lost James White, so who's going to be your running back? They're looking still at Damian Harris, but watch out for Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah, I mean, I like Ramondre Stevenson. I just, I, I think he still needs a little bit more time, and then he needs he needs a dominant X receiver, but he's still got two solid tight ends. I still consider the offensive line still good and feasible. It's not utterly trash, and then the defense itself, the secondary feels like they lost a few pieces needs, because they have. The defense needs a lot of work. But at the same time, who's still who's still in charge of the helm there? It's still Bill Belichick. Exactly. Um, so uh, until he proves to me that he's lost a step or two, I just got I got to believe that they're going to be at worst second. The stories that I've heard of from Mac Jones from this offseason, it, it's it's concerning. Really? Because I've been hearing good things. See, I've I've seen nothing. I've seen that he's taken steps back. I've seen that he's regressed. Maybe we follow different people, but that I I don't know. I like Mac Jones. I think the Patriots could be good, but it's going to take them a little while to get back to to where they were. For sure. Um, and then you know, so second, third, whatever it may be, the the Bills, man. I mean, they're Super Bowl favorites. I think they're winning it. They have a very good chance. I think they're winning it this year. If it won for a coin toss, they had a very good chance of winning the whole thing. If 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 it wasn't for the coin toss, I, you see, I I don't I don't like to say that because I think that they should have taken care of their business. They should have in the fourth quarter. If you would have at least played a little bit of defense, you would have had a very good chance, if not a great chance. So, advancing and you never had to worry about that coin toss if josh allen and i'm drawing a blank on their coach mcdermott yeah sean mcdermott the two of them don't crap themselves in january you're winning the super bowl you're winning the super bowl yeah i mean there's a reason they are loaded at just about every Every position. position stay consistent don't try to do too much because with the talent that you, you you don't have to do a lot don't try to be flashy don't try to be sexy do the job and you're going to win the Super Bowl plain and simple plain and simple let's take a time out right here James when we return we're going to listen to some audio from LSU head football coach Brian Kelly still trying to figure out who that quarterback's going to be. And you also got an interesting battle at kicker for the Tigers. So we'll talk about all that and more. Take your calls on the hotline as well, 706-0111. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. They could debate who should win the MVP, but they'd rather argue who has the best hair in sports talk radio. We just washed the hair. You know, I worked on my hair a long time, and you, and you hit it. It hits my hair. Now back to more of the stylish crunch time with Miguez and Mash here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
Welcome back to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Brian Kelly met with the media yesterday, and he spent some time talking about the quarterback competition. Yeah, no, I think we're pretty much we're, we're, we're closing in on, on making a decision. You know, the, the two of them are outstanding quarterbacks. You guys probably, if you were voting as a group in here, it might be, you know, a split in this room. It's, it's pretty close. So I, I think you could probably understand why for us, you know, we're not jumping out there giving you a quarterback because it is, they're, they're both fine quarterbacks and it's, and it's that close. But we're going to have to, we're going to have to make a decision here in the next few days. I mean, it's close, and, and that's a good problem to have because, you know, you're going to be good either way, whether you go with Garrett Nussmeyer or Jaden Daniels. But like he said, you're 11 days away from the season opener. You're going to have to make a decision at some point. But regardless, whoever plays quarterback is going to have an incredible room of wide receivers to throw the ball to. Well, you're going to see them all play. We want to play fast. We want to play with some tempo. You know, we're going to push the ball down the field. So those guys are going to have to, you know, stay fresh. We want to be able to attack defenses with, you know, six, seven, you know, deep at that position is, is going to serve us well. So, you know, I think they all serve a, an important role. Karen Lacey's going to be involved in that as well. He's, he's had a couple of, uh, you know, really good scrimmages for us. You know, Drake Dinkins has been really solid for us and, and, and consistent. So, I think all of those guys are going to play a, a significant role. And, and I think it's, you know, to have that kind of depth, we're, we're going to use it as a strength of ours by really, you know, keeping those guys fresh and, and rotating them into the game. Also, another guy looking to, to make a, a point in that wide receiver conversation, he talked about Kyron Lacey, he talked about Jare Jenkins. You've also got, you know, um, Chris Hilton is, is another guy, Jack Besh as well. Kayshawn Boutte, obviously the big name. You also got another local product in that room in former Como and Southside product, Malik Neighbors. For me, from the spring to the summer workouts and to now, he's, he's obviously stronger physically, and his maturity is the thing that stands out. And, and when I say maturity, I mean he's the same guy every day. Um, he comes to practice prepared. He practices hard. Um, he comes with a, a, the right attitude. He thinks the right way. And, and that's maturity, right? And I thought at times in the spring he was a bit up and down. He'd have a good day and maybe not so much you'd see him. Um, but his consistency and his approach and the way he thinks and the way he's attacked practices, he's going to be, uh, I, I think, um, a guy that we're all going to enjoy watching play. And then lastly, you know, talking about the defense, a guy that's really stood out this offseason for Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers is former McNeese product Colby Richardson. Well, there's a couple of things. One, Colby Richardson, he uh, physically he came in and put on about 20 pounds. And, and I think that that really has allowed him to compete at a high level. You know, he was, you know, somewhere in the 170 range, 168, 172, and he's, he's over 190 pounds. So I think, you know, coming in and, and really taking advantage of the nutrition and the weight 
training and conditioning put him, you know, he's obviously a very gifted athlete, but then putting on that strength and, and uh, taking, you know, our nutrition program to a, a new level for him, one that he, you know, probably never had before. And he's got elite speed. He's a veteran player. And all those things have come together. Uh, he's extremely committed. Uh, the players really enjoy him. He's a really good teammate, and it's it's good to see him have some great success. You know, looking at the poll question of the day, football bracket, second round matchups, any given Sunday falling behind to the Waterboy, 82.6 to 17.4%. Ton comes in on social media and says, good Lord, AGS going to get whooped like Miguez in first grade. Not quite sure what that means. I didn't get whipped a lot as a kid. I was a good kid. I didn't I didn't do anything wrong. You were a good little two-shoes. Well, I, I kind of... So I, I wasn't. I was a good kid, but I wasn't like teacher's pet, you know, stick up your butt kind of thing. But what I was was I was careful. Again, we, we've talked about it on this show before. I had two teachers for parents as a kid. And all but one year of my life, I had a parent on campus. So if I did something wrong, teachers just had to make one phone call down campus and, you know, I had a parent in my ear. And that that's never fun. Um, so I wouldn't say that I was a good I was a goody two-shoes or even a teacher's pet, but I was definitely careful. In, in the way that I, I did things, for for sure. No, no doubt about that. Before we take a time out, got to tell you guys about one of the hottest new bars in town. It's the Hangout Sports Pub in Youngsville. I'm talking TVs, great food specials, live entertainment every night. Best place to catch college, NFL, even Premier League soccer games. I mean, what more could you ask for? And again, the food is great. Burger sliders, pepper jack boudin balls. They've got loaded fries. Casey Casey Friend is the guy running the spot. He's fantastic. He's a soccer nerd. When you go, tell them Miguez and Mesh sent you. Drink specials daily. They're open at 6.30 in the morning on Saturdays and Sundays for Premier League Soccer. And again, every college and NFL game on their TVs, it's a place that you just got to put on your rotation. It's the Hangout Sports Pub, 1004 Fortune Road in Youngsville. And once again, when you go, tell them that Matt and James sent you, and you will not be disappointed. Take a time out when we return, wrap up hour number one, and get you set for a guest-stacked hour number two. Here on The Game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. The game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, looking at a couple top stories in the league, in the world of sports. First off, how about Jameis Winston saying that he would love to play on Friday? James, would you be okay with seeing Jameis in uniform on Friday night? It's not exactly what I want, but at the same time, I know a lot of people want to see him under center since the ACL injury 
and it would get a little bit of jitters out. Wouldn't get a whole lot, especially since you're not going to be playing the whole game. You only want to see him for a series or two. I'm not fully for it, and I'm not fully against it. I'm kind of in the middle. Yeah, I'd really like to not see him, um, just to keep him healthy or to to guarantee that he's healthy. But, you know, I I do get why you would want the – why you would want to see him in the lineup and getting some reps on the field. I've got another question for you, James. Imagine playing in the outfield, playing baseball in the outfield. And Did that a lot. A, a, a rookie in the major leagues hits a baseball at you with an exit velocity of 122.4 miles per hour. Think you could catch that? Probably not. Especially since I haven't really played outfield since I was 11. Today, Pittsburgh Pirates rookie shortstop O'Neill Cruz ripped a line drive 124, 122.4 miles per hour, which during the StatCast era, that's the hardest hit baseball in Major League history in the StatCast era. And, I mean, 122 miles per hour. Since StatCast began tracking batted balls in 2015, it was the 17th ball hit with an exit velo of at least 120 miles an hour and it was 14 of the previous 16 were hit by Giancarlo Stanton that's insane 122 miles per hour I mean that is just a rocket of a baseball and the pitch was probably 90 yeah yeah um does it say right here what what the pitch speed was no it doesn't Wait, hold on. No, it doesn't. Okay. But what's interesting, though, is if you look at O'Neill Cruz, he is he now holds the fastest infield throw and the hardest ball hit. I he, remember seeing that throw. That thing. He threw, the, he threw a ball across the infield at 97.8 miles per hour. Yeah, that was ridiculous. I mean, dude. And he's played, what's the number, 54 games in his career? That's nuts. Out of 120-something right now? Right. Yeah, he's played half of this year so far. I mean, that's just absolutely unreal. The Pirates did fall to the Braves 14-2 to today to fall to 47-77 and on the season. The Pirates are god-awful. They are really, really, really bad. In our number two, Corbin Smith, host of Locked on Seahawks, will join us for a preview of the Seattle Seahawks. What are they going to do at quarterback now that Russell Wilson's gone? Is it going to be Geno Smith? Is it going to be Drew Locke? They both suck, so does it really matter? I mean, why didn't they go trade for Jimmy G? We'll ask them all of that. And then at 5.30, how about Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles? Going to join us like he does each and every Wednesday for Who Dat Wednesdays. Roster's down to 80, but it's got to get to 53. Who's going to get left out? James will talk about that as well. Hit us up on the game hotline 706-0111. And as a reminder, here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Also, before we take our time out, Chet Holmgren is getting his foot checked after 
it is discovered that he may have some torn ligaments that he suffered at a pro-am game over the weekend in Seattle. He was playing in Jamal Crawford's crossover pro-am, and he was defending LeBron James on a fast break, and he landed the wrong way to suffer that foot injury. So obviously the Oklahoma City Thunder are hoping that it is not too serious. There was actually a number of players in the NBA participating in the crossover pro-am, including LeBron James, Jason Tatum, Paolo Bancaro, DeJounte Murray, and Aaron Gordon. And the the game, this is how bad this game was, James. They had to cancel it in the second quarter because of the condition of the court. It was such a humid day in Seattle that the court was just condensated constantly. That's interesting. You You would think the NBA players would, I mean, other than having their NBA courts themselves feels like they would have just the highest quality that they can get. Yeah. So the fact that they had to stop not even at halftime. Right. Yeah. They had to stop in the second quarter. Hour number one in the books, hour number two on the other side. This is the game. Southwest Louisiana sports station. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two on this wild Wednesday afternoon. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Mesh sitting in the master control suite. It's time to talk Seattle Seahawks. We're down to week number five on the Saints schedule. Corbin Smith is the host of Locked on Seahawks, and he also contributes for allseahawks.com. Corbin, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. So question number one I got to ask since you cover the Seahawks. Has anybody told you that you kind of look like Will Disley? I actually have never heard that before, but <laughs> that is it, it, that it's is not very the comparable. one that I've heard. I've had a few people say David Draymond, uh, the lead singer for Disturbed, but I haven't ever heard Will Disley. So, so let's look at this team, Corbin. You know, obviously Russell Wilson no longer the quarterback of the Seahawks. He's now a member of the Denver Broncos. Russ seems like a guy that's almost impossible to replace you're going to try to do it with either geno smith or drew Locke. who do you see being the starter in that competition and why well i think it might have actually become a competition last week if drew Locke would not have tested positive for covid but unfortunately that happened two days before he was supposed to start their second preseason game against the bears and so geno smith was back in the starting lineup and he's going to start on friday in their finale against the dallas cowboys I think unless Geno Smith just completely lays an egg and Drew Lott goes out there and just lights the world on fire, I think Geno Smith is going to be the starter in week one. He's going to get to face off against Russell Wilson, who he was the backup for for the last three years. I expect that he is going to win this job. He has been out in front throughout this entire process, and it just seems like Pete Carroll is more comfortable moving forward with him right now. That doesn't necessarily mean that Drew Lott couldn't be the starter later in the season once he's gotten a hold of the playbook more and they're feeling more comfortable. But it just seems like right now the familiarity of the offense, the comfort that Smith has with D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, 
his standing in the locker room, his consistency. Those are all things that have allowed him to stay out in front. And unfortunately, Drew Locke missing out on that game last week really limited his chance to try to make up ground in this quarterback race. Talk about this backfield, you know, Rashad Penny, Kenneth Walker. It's obviously a shame that Chris Carson had to retire due to medical reasons. You know, what do you make of the duo of Rashad Penny and Kenneth Walker? And maybe is there somebody behind them in this running back room that you're looking out for? Well, if you can keep Rashad Penny healthy, obviously a huge if given his track record. But you have to see what he could do the last six games last year. Led the NFL in rushing yards during that time. Four games with over 130 rushing yards in that span. And I think this is the most stunning stat for him. Last year, Jonathan Taylor led the NFL with eight rushes at 25 yards or more. Rashad Penny tied him with eight. And he had seven of those runs in the last five games. So you're talking about a guy with insane explosiveness out of the backfield. He can hit a home run anytime he touches it at 235 pounds, runs like a deer, and he can bulldoze through people. The talent is clearly there for him to be one of the best running backs in the league, but he just has not been able to stay healthy up until the end of last season. Didn't get to see his talent for that reason, but if he can stay on the field, he's got a chance to be one of the best running backs in the NFL this year. I think Ken Walker the third. He's dealing with that hernia issue, and Pete Carroll hasn't really delved into too much on the specifics of that, but it sounds to me right now like his status for week one is very much in question, but if they can get him back healthy, he looked great the first three weeks of training camp, underrated hands out of the backfield, explosive athlete, suddenness that Rashad Penny doesn't necessarily bring to the table, just a little different style runner. I would expect that's going to be 1A and 1B if both those guys are healthy. And you mentioned one other name to throw out there. I got two for you. DJ Dallas and Travis Homer have both had really good training camps. Homer's in the last year of his rookie deal. Excellent pass protector. He's put on a little bit of muscle, and he's running better between the tackles. Hasn't lost any speed. And DJ Dallas has maybe been the offensive MVP of their training camp. He has been a monster running the ball and catching out of the backfield, running routes like a receiver. Pass protection's gotten better. So both those guys have the ability, at least in short term, to be a feature back if the Seahawks need them to. That's probably one of their best positions in terms of depth. Now, Corbin, staying on the offensive side, looking at the receivers, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are more of the stars in that receiving core. Can you talk about who else you think could be maybe the three, four, and five that are fine for those spots? Well, nobody seems to want the number three job. D. Eskridge, their second-round pick from a year ago, has been out almost all of training camp. He is finally back on the field. It sounds like he's got a chance to play on Friday against the Cowboys. He's got a lot of talent, really explosive athlete, but he's been battling injuries throughout his time in Seattle. So to this point, nobody's gotten to really see what he can do. I would still think he's the guy because nobody else has really stepped up and seized the opportunity to become that number three receiver during training camp in the preseason so far. But you've got a veteran in Marquise Goodwin. Penny Hart's played a lot of games the last two years. He's come on strong the last week. Maybe the wild card of this group They've got a seventh-round pick out of Lenore Ryan from, uh, his name is Tariq Young, and Division II prospect that's 6'2", 224 pounds, and ran in the 4'4s, 
sub six nine second three cone. So he's really athletic, has good size. He's played running back in the past, has special teams experience. He's been pretty good most of training camp. Had a touchdown in their first preseason game. So he might be an X factor to watch. That ends up being a far bigger contributor than expected. He was actually the second receiver they picked in the seventh round. Bo Melton's been playing a little bit better, but I think right now he's on the outside looking in at a position that's got a lot of depth, but they haven't necessarily been able to find a guy that can step up and be that number three or number four receiver. I would still think D. Eskridge and Freddie Swain are probably those guys, but you have a couple veterans and that uh, player I mentioned, Jarek Young, that certainly have a chance to make an impact and could move up the depth chart with a strong finish to the preseason. Corbin, talk to me about Seattle up front. You know, looking at this offensive line, who are some guys that you're really watching to to make an impact, you know, to to protect Geno Smith if he ends up being the starting quarterback this season? Well, you've got to start with the two rookie tackles because I think at this point that it's pretty given, it's pretty much a guarantee that Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas are both going to be starting in week one against the Denver Broncos. I actually think that Lucas has been the more impressive player of the two, and that's not to say that Charles Cross is not going to turn things around and end up having a better career. He's a top-ten pick for a reason, but Abraham Lucas has been fantastic in training camp in the preseason. He's had four pancakes in the run game, which that has really surprised people because he's coming from an air raid offense at Washington State where he hardly hardly uses a run blocker. And so he's been impressive there. He's been great in pass protection, which was much more anticipated given his background. Cross has been good, but he's had some penalty issues. But they'll be just the third rookie tandem since 1970 to start the season for a team. And I think it's a given that those two will be out there. So all eyes are going to be on them. They're going to go through their rookie lumps. Their guard position should be pretty good with Gabe Jackson. Damian Lewis injured his ankle the other day. Luckily, it doesn't look like he was too serious. They're hoping he'll be back for week one. And they've also got Phil Haynes, who Pete Carroll's talked about as a starter caliber player. And I would agree with that assessment based on what he's played like on the field when he has started for them. So they've got good depth there. Austin Blythe, they think, is an upgrade at center. Uh, That remains to be seen. Not a big guy. Last year didn't play very many snaps for the Kansas City Chiefs, but he knows this offense. He's played for Shane Waldron before they were together uh, in L.A., before he went to Kansas City, and he started a lot of games for the Rams up front at guard and center. So uh, they should feel pretty good about the unit if the communication can be there and they can become cohesive. There's a lot of upside. At the same time, there's a lot of youth on that line, particularly with the two rookie tackles, and that's going to be the big storyline. How do those tackles play in the regular season? They've worked pretty good in preseason action, but they're going to be facing much better pass rushers once week one gets here. Now, looking at the defense, It feels like with the departure of Bobby Wagner, linebacker is a really big question mark for that team. What do you make of the group overall? Well, Jordan Brooks has a chance to be an all-pro linebacker in his own right. So from that standpoint, they've still got star power in the middle. He last year got one vote for all-pro, and I think he's got a chance to be a perennial all-pro type talent in this defense. But from there, the question marks are plenty. Cody Barton's been a really good special teams player for Seattle in his three seasons, but he's never been a full-time starter. 
he's getting thrown into the fire now, replacing Bobby Wagner in the middle. And so far, he's been decent in the preseason, but you haven't seen him necessarily pop out like a guy that looks like a true starter. And so we'll see where he fits in, and he better work out because the depth behind him is looking pretty darn shaky. John Radigan is probably their next best linebacker, and he just was placed on the reserve pup list today. So he's going to be out for at least the first four games as he continues to recover from a torn ACL. They've got Tanner Muse. They've got Nick Ballore, who's been a fullback the last several years. He started some games at linebacker, but he's now in his mid-30s. Probably not the most ideal situation if he's got to play snaps for you on defense. They have a couple young guys, including uh, Vi Jones, who's coming from North Carolina State, that they are intrigued by, but at the same time, he's not ready to be playing extensive snaps on Sundays either. So I think that is a position that they're absolutely going to be looking seriously on the waiver wire here as teams cut down to 53 players, and they're going to be looking for some guys that can come in and maybe upgrade their depth because I think that might be their weakest position in terms of depth on the entire roster. Chat with Corbin Smith, host of Locked on Seahawks, here on Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh. Corbin, looking at the secondary, it's not the Legion of Boom, but still a pretty talented group with guys like Sidney Jones, Jamal Adams, and Quandre Diggs. What do you make of the secondary? I think this group has a chance to be a special one because of the rookies that they've got coming in. I'm just going to throw this name out there right now. We'll see what he looks like playing in regular season games. I think he's going to be starting sooner rather than later. Tariq Woolen, their fifth-round pick out of UTSA, he looks like somebody that was created in a lab, kind of like DK Metcalf at receiver. I mean, we're talking six foot four. 33 and a half inch arms and he ran a 4.2640 at the combine. There's never been a corner with that size, length and athleticism, but he was coming into the league really raw. Has only played corner for 2 years. I think everybody expected it's going to be a long-term project and all he has done has been one of the best, if not the best defensive player for the Seahawks in training camp of the preseason. He's getting his hands on a football all the time. He's gone head-to-head with Metcalf several times, and he's won a bunch of those battles, including in the red zone. He had an incredible interception where he traveled to the middle of the field and just looked like a gazelle running the way that he just flies at his size, picking off a pass thrown by Drew Locke. Pete Carroll was just gushing about it. It was a special play. And he just The kid just keeps finding ways to impress, and I don't know how they're going to keep him out of the lineup. He might be starting in week one. We'll see what happens with Artie Burns and his health. He was the starter the first two and a half weeks before he suffered a groin injury, but it feels like that injury opened the door for Woolen to start. But if he plays the way that he has in training camp in the preseason, and that translates to the regular season to go with Sidney Jones, to go with the two safeties that they've got, and they've got a couple really good reserve safeties in Josh Jones and Ryan Neal. Maybe Marquise Blair still fits into that equation. This is the strongest two position groups in terms of depth. I think people expected it at safety. Cornerback, not so much, but this group has been much better than anticipated in large part due to the youth coming in and immediately making an impact. Now, looking at the schedule, can you give us some thoughts on how the Seahawks are going to look with all their different opponents? Well, I still think this is probably a six or seven win team. And some would say, oh, that's optimistic without Russell Wilson. But as I just kind of highlighted, this team's got a number of good running backs. I think the offensive line is going to be better than a lot of people realize. There's going to be some bumps in the road when you've got two rookie tackles playing. But 
these two guys look like they are legitimately ready to play on Sundays. And so I think that group is going to exceed expectations. You've got Metcalf and Lockett. There's some other talent at the receiver positions if they can just get some consistency. And then on defense, you've got some really explosive young pass rushers like Daryl Taylor, who I think has a chance to be a breakout player for the Seahawks. Jordan Brooks in the middle. They've got the depth issues there, but the secondary, they've got incredible depth at corner and safety. There's a lot of star power atop the depth chart. A guy like Tariq Woolen that could be a star in quick order. So it feels like there's enough ingredients here that the Seahawks could be a pesky team that is competitive week in, week out. I don't know if that translates to a lot of wins. I think six or seven wins, though, is probably about the prime spot for this team. And if everything falls into place, they get decent quarterback play, then maybe you could be looking at a nine-win team that competes for a wild-card spot. But I find it hard to believe that they are going to be worse than five wins with the talent they've got away from the quarterback position. So you're taking the over on five and a half? Absolutely. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. One last question for you, Corbin. Pete Carroll's a guy, you know, you got to imagine that he's closing in on retirement, especially considering the Seahawks have taken, you know, a step back or two over the last couple of years. How would you grade his last couple of seasons here in Seattle? Well, obviously, when your team goes seven and ten, the Bucks got to stop with the coach. But it does feel like this has been a situation that was brewing for a few years with Russell Wilson. We saw the rumors, and eventually, it just reached a point where the organization had to decide: do we want to go with the quarterback or the coach? And they chose Pete Carroll. And I think when you look at the way that some teammates have reacted since then, uh, you know, their fans—they're going to dispute the decision they made. Like, you got to go with the franchise quarterback. But Pete Carroll still is one of those coaches that pretty much every guy in the NFL would love to play for him. He's still a player's coach. Players still are going to run through a brick wall for him. And I think that the roster now is being constructed more in the image of what he thinks is going to win football games. Now, is that going to work in 2022 compared to, say, 2013? We'll see. The game is certainly changing with teams airing it out more. But he's banking on his philosophy that the defense is going to be better They're going to have better personnel to run what he wants to this year. They're going to be able to get the ball going on the ground. And the quarterbacks are going to be efficient enough as point guards that they can lead the offense. And so I don't think, you know, the people that have been arguing Pete Carroll should have been fired, I don't know where that's coming from. But I also could see a situation where if things really fall apart this year, the Seahawks might decide, you know what, we started rebuilding the roster last year. Maybe it's time for a different voice. But I don't think it was time for that right now. And if there's a coach that can win with this roster, Pete Carroll is the guy with the personnel they've got. Corbin Smith, host of Locked on Seahawks, joining us here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Corbin, really appreciate you taking the time, man. Tell our listeners where they can find your work. You can find me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can find Locked on Seahawks, our daily podcast. It's on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all those major platforms. You can subscribe for free. And my work's also available on si.com slash Seahawks. Fantastic stuff, Corbin. Really appreciate you taking the time, man, and enjoy this season. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Take care. And there he goes, Corbin Smith of LockedOnSeahawks.com. Great podcast across all Locked On networks, so definitely make sure to check those out. The Arneville Volunteer Fire Department is hosting a Black Pot Cook-Off Saturday, September the 10th. Cooking begins at 8, eating begins at noon at the Flower Auditorium in Arneville. 
Plenty of live music as well, including Gerald Grenick and Gentile Zydeco, Dustin Sonye, and Sweet Cecilia. For more information, visit www.arnavillefire.org. Let's take a time out right here. When we return, we'll talk some more New Orleans Saints. And in case you didn't catch this, the Caesar Superdome pulled an elite trolling job on the Atlanta Falcons. We'll talk about that as well. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. So, the Saints have been known for trolling the Atlanta Falcons any chance they get. So right now, the Caesar Superdome is undergoing a $450 million renovation. Apparently, one of the things that they're doing is new elevators. They're supposed to be express elevators. They're going to be faster than a typical elevator. So they put up a sign that says, Our new express elevators will escalators will get you to your seats 28.3 times faster than before. And then in parentheses it says, that may not be an exact number, but there is something about 28 to 3. Coming in 2023. Yikes. I mean, just a master class in pettiness. I love how petty they are. A master class of petty. It's fantastic. It is absolutely fan. I mean, 28.3 times faster. You actually had to think about that. But you know, you know, James, there, there's a new feature on cell phones where, you know, you know how you have, you have loud, you have vibrate, you have stuff like that on your phone. Yeah. Well, well now they have an Atlanta Falcons mode. Ringless. I was going to, okay, yeah. I was going to say something like, yeah, that makes, yeah, it's a lot better than I would have cut up with. Ringless. Baracha. There it is. There it is. We're 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 gonna get we're gonna get better with the soundboard thing, but it's I still coming. need to get I still need to get more sounds. It, it's coming along. We're not gonna be Jim Rome level, but we're we're gonna be. We're gonna yeah, be I'm not gonna close. I'm not gonna abuse the soundboard buttons. No, no, don't we we we're not gonna spam the same sound you know ten times in a row, but uh. You know, again, it's just it's just really funny the way that the Saints can can take a joke like that and just absolutely run with it. Seven zero six zero one one one. If you want to get in on the hotline, got about five minutes before we take another timeout and go to Brendan Ertle for Who Dat Wednesday. James, looking at the Saints situation right now, sitting at eighty players, you got to get down to fifty three by next week. You know, who are you looking at as a guy that you want to stay around but don't know that they will? One guy for me? Ooh. It's it might be it might be Abram Smith. You don't think Abram Smith's gonna stay around? Unless they're willing to go with five running backs. I'd rather go with five running backs than four tight ends. I'll tell you that. 
I mean, granted, whether you want to count Taysom Hill as a tight end on the on the roster or not, but I mean, if you're gonna, he's listed on the depth chart as a tight end. So if you're gonna list him on the depth chart as a tight end, I mean, Jawan Johnson might be the odd man out there. No. If anybody's gonna be the odd man out, it's gonna be Nick Vanette. You think? Yeah. You've been developing Jawan the last three years. I mean, I know, but that doesn't mean that he stays. But he's improved every year. I haven't heard anything bad about him, except the one time whenever he didn't catch Ian Book's airmail pass. Other than that, he hasn't done anything wrong. Why? Why would you get rid of him when you've been developing this whole developing him this whole time? Because I think Nick Vanette gives you more. I I think Nick Nick Vanette is is more of what fits the Saints offense and that's not a knock on Juwan Johnson I like Juwan Johnson I'd like to find a way to to keep Juwan Johnson around but at the end of the day I mean you got Adam Troutman you're gonna have Taysom Hill I really like Lucas Kroll I think there's just too much depth at tight end for this team I think he's gonna be a practice squad guy I don't know Juwan to me is a lot better than Nick Bennett I he's a he's more athletic he can catch better he can do more and is more of a vertical threat, as well as he's been developing blocking this whole time. And he's generally been healthier in my eyes than Vanette has, especially yep. last year. Two rookies on on at wide receiver that I'm looking at. What about Dejon Dixon and Rashid Shahid? Do either one of those guys make the 53? I don't think so. And I'm also looking at second year receiver Kawan Baker, and I don't I don't think he'll make it either. No, he'll be on the practice squad, especially now that he's got that six-game suspension for PEDs. I, I think you have the first five. You got Thomas, Landry, Olave, Callaway, Hardy. And I I personally think they'll run with six because they started off with six last year at wide receiver. So, so if that's the case, the sixth? I think I me personally, I'd rather Kirk Merritt. But uh, to me, it's a two-man race between Smith and Merritt. Since they were also running Kirk Merritt at running back just the yep. other day in practice. I, I could see them keeping Kirk Merritt solely on the fact of how versatile he could be for you. So, plus, it's not much of a difference when it comes to the money, but you save three, almost 400000 more because Traquan signed for $1.1 million while Kirk Merritt's going, his deal is about seven fifty. Right, seven hundred fifty thousand. So, it, either way, you'd be saving money, but you'd save a little more on Traquan, and you have a younger, more versatile piece. Whereas Traquan, he doesn't play special teams. Yeah, right. That's absolutely it's absolutely true. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do there, with you know, a lack of spots basically, uh, as you head down the back stretch. The MLB came out with a new schedule format today uh, they've announced that all 30 teams will play each other at least once next year division opponents will only play each other 13 times instead of 19 and also they're requiring that every team plays on Jackie Robinson Day opening day Roberto Clemente Day the 4th of July and the game the 162nd game of the year the Houston Astros will open their season next year at home 
against the Chicago White Sox on March 30th. So interesting updates from the MLB schedule. Again, all 30 teams will play on required days, and they will all play each other at least one game next season. So definitely, you know, seeing how that's going to to go out in in, in that fashion. James, let's take a timeout right here. When we return, let's do Who Dat Wednesday with our guy, Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. It's 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. He's going to go. Touchdown, Saints. Who's ready for some New Orleans Saints talk? We are. Here is Who Dat Wednesdays with Canal Street Chronicles' Brendan Ertle on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Brendan Ertle, my guy. What's going on, dude? What's going on, boys? Man, we are so close to the season. It's just chomping away at me. I'm so excited. I'm looking forward to it. It's, it. You know, we're getting close. It's it's getting, you know, the leaves are falling. It's almost fall, you know. We're almost there. How's life in Corvallis for you, my friend? Well, you know, not, not much to desire, but, you know, living, thriving, doing doing my best. And, this, you know, this is what I look forward to every week, so. Not not much to thrive in. <laughs> oh, man. Poor, poor Corvallis, Oregon. All right, so the Saints – the Saints played the Packers Friday night and they fell twenty to ten. Give me your thoughts on the game. Oh, rough game. I mean, I went back and listened to, you know, our recording from last week right after the game and I was like, Did I get anything right about this game? And I was like, Well, no, not really. I kinda of swung out on a lot of things and that being, you know, Ian Book. I I mean I expected, you know, him to if he had a significant amount of snaps to go out there and prove that he has a reason to be out there and you know i just think he put himself deeper in the doghouse and it's it's frustrating for him probably because you know he did a lot of things really good but the things he did bad were things that's just like mental things like the snap like that's uh i forget who was in that center at the time but it was in his hands i mean that's 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 ian book's fault it's just not paying attention you know maybe a little bit nervous or you know, not fully locked in. I don't know, but that's something that, you know, should be an easy fix. And it, it was an issue this week. And I think, you know, from what I've heard, that he took uh, barely any competitive snaps this week at practice. And they're saying he threw one pass in competitive drills. So, you know, when he wasn't, it's just like hand off the ball. Don't mess anything up. It's just, you know, I, I, I don't know what this week's going to look like in terms of who plays and who doesn't, but... You know, I would assume that we see a lot more of, you know, other guys than Ian Book. Who is so far has really impressed you? Um, so, you know, the, the obvious guys that, that we've seen, you know, Olave, I think Penning's been good. But someone that we haven't really talked about is, you know, the linebackers have been an, an issue that we've had to fix. Um, and someone that stuck out to me since really day one has been Nephi Sewell. Uh, yeah, the... The, the other brother from Tanay Sewell, and I think that he has been, you know, really, really good at, you know, what he's been asked to do so far. Uh, took some first-team reps this week uh, at linebacker with Pete Warner still being out, and I think, I, you know, I'm still concerned about that, but if, you know, you can have a UDFA come in and make the roster, uh, I think that'd be great, and he, you go back and watch, the, you know, what, what, what he did well, um, and I kind of relate it back to, you know, if you've seen Hard Knocks this 
this past week, the episode two with Malcolm Rodriguez, you know, rookie six-round pick coming in and outplaying all the starters and veterans just because he's playing harder. He's he's hitting people. He's playing harder. And I think that Nephi is doing that, you know, just as well as anyone else. He's he's doing his job, and he's playing really, really hard. So I think he stood out most of all the really under-the-radar kind of guys. But, you know, he's been my favorite so far, honestly. Brendan, the roster sitting at 80. you got to get it down to 53. Who are some guys kind of on the hot seat for you that might not get a roster spot? You know, there's there's the obvious choices. I mean, we can look at the offensive line. You know, you can trim down some guys there. Um, the cornerbacks that we've rolled out each week, you know, those are easy cuts. I, I think they're, they're more so, you know, auditioning for other teams just because our depth at corner is so deep. And, you know, we haven't even been able to see Alante Taylor yet. And that's given more options for, you know, other guys like Quentin Meeks and guys like that. So I think those will be obvious cuts. And we have some safeties we got we gotta work through. You know, Justin Evans, um, has he done enough? Guys like that, uh, in the back end really. Uh they're pretty deep at DN and D tackle. I think you try and keep as many of those guys as you can. But you know, they gotta they gotta dish off another running back as well. I don't think they keep you know, they've sometimes kept four uh, scratched one. I, I think they like to roll it with three on on game day. So that that'll still be a question. I think that hasn't been answered yet, and it still is an issue. Um, going going to you know week three of the preseason, I think it's something that needs to be addressed. Uh, finding that third running back, but you know there's lots of tight ends as well. I mean, I would hate to let go of Lucas Kroll, but I think it's the one you have to, and just hope that no one picks him up. You can put him on the practice squad, but I think there's a ton of guys that, you know, if you can get on your practice squad, that'd be amazing. They have tons of, you know, solid prospects. I think Quan Baker's a guy who, you know, was on track to be one of those, what, 15, I forget the exact number of practice squad people, but Quan was going to be there. But after that six-game suspension, I don't know. Uh, Kevin White was doing really well in special teams. He's on IR now, so there's more opportunity for other people. Um, but, you know, I, I think that Kirk Merritt could find, you know, if he keeps playing well, I mean, I, I think it's hard to not put this guy somewhere in the 53. And I think, you know, if I know you guys well enough, there's going to be a question about Kurt coming up. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think he's one of my, he's been, he's been one of my favorites as well. You're right about the Kirk Mayer. I was going to bring up the receivers <laughs> later, but you also brought up Justin Evans. And I want to ask you about that. Do you think he's done enough in your eyes to earn a roster spot? Well, I, I think maybe. You know, you have to you have to really look at it. And I was looking at the same step chart, and right now they have Justin Evans penciled in behind Tyron Matthew. And I thought that was interesting. I mean, I don't think those are official, you know, actual things, but it's just interesting to have it up there. Um, but I think it's really his real competition right now is Daniel Sorensen. Um, and, you know, Justin Evans was a wow. guy that didn't really, you know, had a, tons of value coming out of the draft at Texas A&M, I believe, and didn't really live up to it. And, you know, that'll happen when you go to Tampa Bay. Um, but, you know, I think that you, do you keep, um, Daniel Sorensen and Justin Evans? I, I think Smoke Monday had a good shot to make this roster as well. Uh, but, you know, obviously he went down, so that's another spot for him. Um, but I think you need to have some depth at that position. Uh, you know, Marcus May, we don't know what's going to happen with his pending suspension. You know, we're just assuming with his DUI he had a, a while ago, so don't know there and you know pg williams is there as well so i think he has a legit shot and he's played you know fine and good enough to to make the roster and have some some depth and you know come cut down day he's one he's one of the guys that you know i would be rooting for him to make the roster 
Chat with Brendan Erdelick and Out Street Chronicles here on Houdat Wednesday. Brendan, how important has Michael Thomas been, and are you concerned at all about his hamstring injury? Um, so I'll, I'll say this first. I'm not concerned. I mean, I was for a little bit, but um, looking back at it and the the media talk with Marquez Cal- Marquez, sorry, has a W in there, a sign W, Marquez Calway, and he was talking a little bit about how the the receivers coach and you know the offensive coordinator and everyone kind of got mad at them for today, that being the receiver group for not bringing the juice earlier this week, and it's like hmm, that's interesting. Right when MT leaves, the juice is gone and. Um, if you saw the highlights for today, they had the receivers catch footballs and then, you know, spike it, kick it, throw it, and just trying to bring some energy after a catch. Um, and it's just, it's just surprising to me that, you know, MT leaves for a couple of days and, you know, he's in the building, but he's not out there in practice and you know, kind of the energy dies down. And I think that, you know, having MT out there just bolts confidence in everyone and, you know, it just makes everyone else better at their job, you know, when MT's out there. So, I mean, I'm not overly concerned about it. You know, it's something that, you know, Mike Evans gets a pulled hammy every two weeks, it feels like, and he still finds a way to play. So, um, obviously, there's concern because of his ankle, and he's been out forever. Um, but, you know, there's no reason for him to really be out there right now. There's no reason to push it. And if he tweaked it, he tweaked it. Nothing you can do. I don't think it's – I mean, we have, like, what, three weeks till our first game, so two or three weeks. So, I don't think it's – severe enough where you know he's threatened to miss that game but I mean you never know and I think he'll end up being okay but I'm, I'm not too worried about it it doesn't sound like anyone in the building's too worried about it as well and now moving over to the offensive line I'm a big numbers guy usually the Saints roll out with eight or nine offensive linemen I think they're going to roll out with nine I think mm-hmm. the, I think the first Eight are solidified. You got, you know, Hurst, Penning, Pete McCoy, Ruiz, Ramchek. You got Calvin Throckmorton, who they've had for a couple years, and they're still developing that young tackle and Landon Young. So that's eight right there. Who do you think is going to be the ninth guy? Um, see, that, yeah, that's a good question because, you know, Nick Underhill came out and said, uh, I think about a week ago, that there's actually some interest around the league about the Saints' death at the interior offensive line. So that was something that was like, wow, I. I, that's surprising to me that there's interest in our interior offensive line. And you go back and look at it, and it's like, yeah, we don't have you know the best guys at their positions in the interior, but we we are a little bit deep in terms of you know young talent, developing talent. Like I'm really high on Calvin Throckmorton. I thought he's played really well for you know just being thrown into the fire. Um, but you know that could be a thing where they could roll out with eight, but come cut down day, you know maybe someone calls and is like. Yeah, we'll we'll send you a late round pick for one of these guys. And I mean, um, around the league, there's been some injuries. I mean, Tampa Bay's had some offensive line injuries. I know Denver's had some, you know, some issues. So, I mean, maybe a team calls on cutdown day and's like, "Hey, uh, we want one of your guys." And it, they're definitely affordable. Um, no one specifically has really, you know, jumped out at me on film to say, "Yeah, yeah, that guy needs to be on the 53." Uh, but I think the eight guys that you named for sure, and I think. You know, it, that really comes down to, you know, Zach Shreef and Doug Marone. If, if they have a guy that they like and uh, maybe can sneak him onto the practice squad, I think you absolutely do that. But, you know, the league knows best, and if the league thinks the Saints are deep in the interior, that means they're deep in the interior. So I'm happy about it, and, you know, I, I think that we'll, we'll know more and pretty much after this game. 
Do the Saints carry a fifth and sixth receiver, and if so, who is it? See, that that's the question I was waiting for. Um, interesting. So we look at the numbers. MT, Jarvis, Olave. Easy, no question about it. Deontay Harris, Deontay Hardy, uh, that's four. Uh, you look at probably Troy Cohn Smith because they love him as a blocker. I don't Ugh. think they're going to release him. I, I don't know if I agree with it, but, you know, uh, there's Callaway as well. So you look at that, but then you, you're looking at, you know, who's playing special teams. I don't think, you know, any of those guys are really going to do that besides Deontay Hardy. Um, but that's where I think a guy like Kirk Merritt fits in this roster perfectly because, you know, now he has experience at wide receiver. We saw him at kick returner, and he was phenomenal at that. You know, if Deontay has to miss a week or so or, you know, something happens, you know, he could be back there. He's played some snaps at running backs. So they have versatility at that. I think that's a guy where, you know, there might be players on the roster that's better than him, but the versatility that, you know, he can go in a bunch of different spots helps him a ton. So that really comes down to do you cut Trey Quan or Marquez, Marquez? I don't think you do. I don't think you can because if you do, you're not getting them back. Um, so, yeah, I, I would I would go with, you know, keep six, honestly. I think you cut Trey Quan and play Kirk Merritt. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I am, you know, no hate to anyone on the roster, but, you know, Trey Quan just hasn't shown it to me. But I know they really like his blocking, and, you know, that that's something that, you know, new coaches like as well. So I, I'm right there with you, but I, I just don't, I don't see it happening. I'd be uh, happily surprised if it does. And looking at linebacker, you got Demario, you got Pete. There have been a couple. You had talked about Nafai Sewell, and I had looked at that earlier since you know he was getting first team reps just the other practice the other day. Chase Hansen too. Chase Hansen's been somebody that stepped up as well. Eric Wilson and John Bostic, in the little time that they've played, they've looked really well as well. So I feel like Zach Bond at this point, you got to X him out, and he's going to be a free agent and go on the waivers. Yeah, that 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 really sucks, and it's an experiment that I don't think worked out really well. And when he came out of Wisconsin, you know, he's more of an edge rusher, and we, um, I'll, I'll put myself in part of the weed that I was excited to see what he could become, and if he become a real stand-up linebacker, and it just it just never developed. And I think right now, I mean, you keep the guys that are on the field. And Zach Bond hasn't really played a ton, and when he did against Green Bay, didn't really stick out to me at all. And I think he's on the outside looking in. It doesn't matter where you're drafted. Um, they're going to put the best guys out there and the best guys that you know perform. And I think even a guy like Chase Hansen's outperformed him. And I don't think he's played particularly well, especially in Green Bay. He wasn't you know, all that great and miss some tackles and miss some gaps sometimes. I think, you know, Chase Hansen, Eric Wilson, and John Bostick are, are I would say Eric Wilson and John Bostick first make this roster and um, everyone else is, you kind of you have to play the numbers game, but you look at DeMario, Pete Warner, Eric Wilson, John Bostick, maybe Sewell, that's five linebackers, so that's a lot. And I, I think Zach Bond is, too far gone at this point. I mean, I think he has to do a ton in this game and show a lot, but I, I don't know. It's It's been disappointing to see what he's uh, gone through and the transition, but I, I think think the road is ending. Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles joining us. Brendan, appreciate you each and every week, my guy. Let's do it again. Yes, sir. Let's do it. 
Tune in next week for another edition of Hood at Wednesdays here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. FanDuel wants to get you ready for game day when college football kicks off this week. Right now, new customers can get $150 in free bets guaranteed for week one. Just place a $5 bet and you can win $150 in free bets, win or lose. You already know I'm hammering the over on six and a half wins for the LSU Tigers this season. You can also try a same game parlay. You can also jump in on the action with live betting, or you can just go big with all kinds of promotions like odds boost. If you're thinking about joining FanDuel, now is the perfect time to give it a shot. The app is super simple and easy to use. They're always hooking you up with great odds, and when you win, you'll get your earnings fast. So see for yourself why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today. Sign up using promo code KLWB and place a $5 bet and get $150 in free bets guaranteed to kick off the college football season. That's promo code KLWB. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days after the receipt. Restrictions do apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. Thank you, James. Welcome back to Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. I want to take this opportunity to thank Corbin Smith from Locked on Seahawks and SI.com for joining us to talk about the Seahawks before the 2022 season. And Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles for joining us for Who Dat Wednesday like he does each and every Wednesday. That's going to about do it for today's edition of Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh. We'll bring you the final results of the poll question tomorrow which will set up the third round of the football movie bracket. We'll bring you those matchups as well. Cajun Corner with Jay Walker tomorrow at 4.30. We're going to talk a lot of college football tomorrow. Week zero right around the corner here this weekend. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well. Give a hug to your mom and them. Houston Astros coming up at 7.10 here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.